2: some underneath. I don't think it's trash for you to want to do no. cool things.
3: And this is the year I've decided that um, maybe I deserve nice things. I love,
2: truly, Amber, I love this for you so much. Thank I do you. think that there, this may be too candid and you don't, you can cut it if you want, but I do think that there's a part of your upbringing that has told you that you didn't, you don't deserve anything. Right. And you do. Um Way more than you give yourself allowances for, you do deserve good things and your Thank talents you. are, good, are bountiful and you thanks, are going to do many good things.
3: This is the year for dreaming big and yes. putting your head down and working hard for it and just praying to whatever God you pray to mm-hmm. that something might come out of it. I prayed to the slugs. <laughs> they're my god. That's right. Well, they get them slippy slime. And you can put it on your face and make it look like less wrinkles. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Korean,
2: Korean. Or is that snails? I don't know. Snail. Whatever. Slugs and
3: snails, they're like the same family. They're like yeah, cousins, the right? Yeah, one just got a little hat on. <laughs> <laughs> Not a hat. Uh, bustle. Bustle. I feel like. Snails are girls, and slugs are boys. You're right. I actually think that's true. <laughs> you know?
2: <laughs> Welcome to Some Underneath I'm Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. Uh, I love that. love that for all of us. I'm in a weird mood today, Amber.
3: Well, it's raining, and it never rains in Los Angeles, and you know, we're all emotional beings over here, so it's just kind of, I don't want to say weighing on the spirit, but I've had three cups of coffee, Then yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and I might, might want a fourth. <laughs> Let's just say
2: my spirit could keep a ship in place in the sea right now. Oh. Like an anchor. Get it?
3: Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, good. I, I pray. I hope you're doing great, Natalie. No, I'm fine.
2: Everything's fine. Um... We're much, much better than, you know, a lot of uh, the people who have gone through these experiences that we're talking about. And I have to keep that perspective all the time if I'm being a little grump, especially when I'm for my period. It's making it harder.
3: That's okay.
2: Um But, yeah, the you know, the the people who uh, have to try to get into this shit country (laughs) have such a a journey um, that is so harrowing. Um, And I I actually you you mentioned this article in the backlash about it. It's not directly about people at the border, but I thought it was really relevant. And I appreciate you sending it over to me, Amber. Um, I. I very fortunately have not been on X since about August.
3: Oh, God, I live on X too much. But you know what? I get all my bullshit information there, Natalie. It is.
2: I would never want to go back, but I do think that there are there are moments of value to it. Yeah. Um, but you had brought up an article that was sort of being targeted uh, by it was a New York Post article, which, have, you know, shockingly, they were doing something salacious and fucked up.
3: Right. And you're um, like, oh, they said this for the likes. And I was like, oh, I'm so dumb. I don't know that. I think it could be the case. But it, in,
2: any, in any case, the article is titled and, and you know, just to prelude, this is not it's not sensitive, but it says ex sex worker recalls being forced to sleep with 20 men on her first night in a queen's brothel, the worst night of my life. And the article goes on to detail uh, a story from a woman from Caracas. 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 Caracas, Venezuela, um, who is using a pseudonym, who was not trafficked through the border, but was tricked into coming to New York. Right. In a very similar way that some people are trafficked over the border, which is a promise of a new life, a new family. And in this instance, this woman's... um, Story is one of the more brutal hate like kind of just like unbelievable kinds I do believe it, but that it's not just the promise of work, it's that somebody it, it's called uh it's the same thing that Andrew Tate does. The uh what's oh, it? Oh the
3: lover boy method. Yeah, the Romeo trafficking yeah. or whatever. I love you, baby. You're so special, you're so pretty. Come to America with me. I'll give you a new life. All you gotta do is just come work for me. But Not only that, in this woman's
2: case, what she seems to be saying is that she met a a man when she was living in her her home city and she was working and doing. She went to school. She had a whole life. And this man kind of came and swept her off her feet. She fell in love with him. And he said, I've got a family in New York. My sister is going to be like your new family. We're
3: starting a new life. And when she got there, was immediately thrown His sister took away the passport and said, you got to work for us to pay off the debts. And I think it was like $35 a guy. Really, really just nightmarish uh,
2: scenario. Um, But the reason that it was being even written, and I, you know, maybe I don't like New York Post, but I think this is a valid story. Um, Apparently, I, I missed all of this. See, When I'm on next, I don't see, but Eric Adams... Had just recently, the mayor of New York had recently said that Venezuelan migrants were propelling the sex trade, and she's saying, um, "I we're not propelling it. No. We were stolen. Yeah, we don't want to do manipulated this. Manipulated into coming to this this idea of a new life, a, a better start, a fucking melting pot. Blah 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 blah. So n- no, it's not." venezuelan migrants causing the
3: problem now they're being lied to they're, they're in prison basically yeah um it's a it's an interesting slash you know tragic
2: but very it's curious to understand how that form of trafficking happens instead of sneaking in over the border that somehow you attain a travel visa and then you don't leave is an entirely different process i guess of trafficking that's not exactly the same as what we're covering but very much similar to the the actual uh, experiences of some people who get trafficked. Yeah. At the border.
3: Did you see that other article I sent you about the Philippines? The girls in the Philippines. Oh, I only saw. It's sorry. It's I sent you the worst shit. It's <laughs> like here's a bunch of like trafficked girls. I did ask. I did when you text me.
2: I do now. I require you to send me a brief synopsis of what it
3: is. Just. just just in case. You don't want the roulette of my brain? It could be that, or like, here's a monkey that looks pretty. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> which I love it, love you for this, but yeah, I do appreciate when I get a little a little warning before a little warning. I, So I did see your warning, but I didn't have time before I got here to look at
3: it Right, well the video is just like children in the Philippines. I'm talking like 6 to 12, and the, the, the announcer's like, there's this influx of girls they're being raised in poverty, so you can go and like pay for a bride, and I'm looking at the comment section and just the absolute fucking pieces of shit. And you can see that they say it with their full face. And I'm like, I sent you pictures of their face because, of course, they're demonic creatures. (laughs) Um, Just being like, can I get one every day?
2: (laughs) You know what I've seen some people doing on TikTok and I fully support is they're going through comment sections and places like that screenshotting the person's face and name and then just doing a montage of all of them showing up like just basically using the back you know like the green screen on Mm -hmm. tiktok and just being like there's this guy and here's this guy and here's this guy here's his name and sometimes they even find out where they like yeah they work and stuff
3: i mean i'm not a big fan of doxing like in general but if you're like Wanting to like buy and sell children. No, you
2: can dox them. I feel like I don't want to work with you. No, you can definitely dox them. I'm giving full permission to everyone (laughs) out there if you see that to dox them. Um, But that's a whole nother, that's a whole sort of a different color. That's right. Um, Last week we had talked about the ways one can go seeking asylum in a forward way. So after those big long journeys for people getting to the southern border, there's a barely there's a a way that you can just go surrender yourself and that that is a legal thing to do you can go seek asylum and then there's all of these other weird steps that happen depending on again which presidents in place and which laws are being implemented and blah 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 so this is one way it's not an it's not a guarantee of safety um, you could say um from superficially if you're going to find if you make it all the way to the southern border and then you say, I'm here, I need help, maybe you would on the surface be like, Oh yeah, that that's probably safer than going through other routes, but
3: it's not always necessarily safer. Yeah, would you rather trek through a jungle or be sex trafficked in New York? What well would you rather? <laughs> I well, mean, that's apples and oranges. I mean, I think that
2: there's maybe a C option too. Um, uh, but so we're we're looking at the different threats that come from either the, you know, the long journey up through Central America, through Mexico, then getting to the border, having to decide what you're doing there. And then if you recall last week, we talked about once sometimes when you seek asylum, they say, like, download this app.
3: Right. Here's a phone. There's an app for that. If you wait by the border for several months, maybe we can uh, get you in the office. I'm sorry. There was a Republican candidate on the the debates talking about how we need to improve the tech at the border. Mm -hmm. And because of the show, I know what that is. But I don't know if they mean that in a good way.
2: No, I I don't don't know. But I'm like, yeah, we
3: should improve the tech at the border.
2: Yeah, probably not in a way.
3: Majority of
2: Republican candidates look at the. The issue of the border being like, get him out of (laughs) here, Make them stop coming. And that's like not how this any of this works. That's not what's happening. We can't just go like, shoo, shoo, go. Oh, no. Like that's just the it's the it's the dehumanizing of the people at the border that is so gross about Republicans in general. But that's the, that's their bread and butter. Um, but anyway, so we talked about seeking asylum in this forward way. Um, and it's really actually interesting In that arena, you know, we talked about whenever people are coming up through Mexico, sometimes they find a spot in in another part of Mexico and start work there or unfortunately are taken or trafficked amidst Mexico. But sometimes people find just a way to make a living somewhere in Mexico. And there was this whole deal with NAFTA. I'm sure you've heard the term NAFTA before, but it's like a trade deal Mm -hmm. that happened between the Americas. And during that time in the 90s, there was this huge influx of women to northern Mexico because of NAFTA. Because all of NAFTA, NAFTA was created, all these factories were built up at the northern border of Mexico, right along where all of the uh, border towns are, and they created little corporate cities almost in the in these. Areas like Tijuana, and it's not a good thing.
3: I I remember like this being talked about like a blip in the news, mm-hmm. and I kind of forgot about it. Like the Amazon headquarters on the border, right? And that's that's a newer
2: version of that. That this has been happening with other companies, and and specifically places like Korea and stuff have been setting up after NAFTA, been setting up these. They're called. Um, Maquilladoras. 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 Okay. Um, and they are another place that women get lost in because it is little tiny towns inside of bigger towns that are completely isolated that the corporations at the border own. Oh, God. And so they run the schools. They run, like, the food centers. They run the churches. <gasps> And it is another oh. place on border towns that is a different kind of danger for people who are a lot of times not Mexican, but who have become – they've they've migrated to Mexico for these jobs. God,
3: can you imagine the education? Okay, kids, today we're going to learn spelling. M-I-C-R-O-S-O-F-T. Right. All right, sit down. Right. I mean, the, you have to wonder
2: how – much of an agenda. This is something that was other companies have tried in the U.S. If you'll remember, like most notably Ford tried to do this back in the 1920s, create a corporate town. Again, Amazon has tried different versions of it that are supposed to be less oppressive, but that this was a thing that corporations tried to do in America, wow. and which th- was like create uh, something that looks like a little oasis, but everything's owned by the, your boss.
3: The fact that like... Amazon could own a church. I mean, that goes directly against the Bible. You should not pray to false gods. And and also, I don't think Amazon would have ever gotten away with that. But a lot of companies
2: tried. And now that's still happening at border towns. I just thought that was another interesting aspect of the danger for women at a, a, at a borderlands area. Um, there's so much about it that it seems like the edges of where... Ownership changes is where the most dangerous shit happens because people are trying to slip through the cracks of laws on either side. And it's just never something I know that we hear the term borderlands a lot and all that, but it's never really crossed my mind that there is such a dark thread just based on trying to go into the little tiny space where there's not really, it's not clear who's running the laws exactly. And
3: you need laws. That's the first thing that has to happen. And I know laws can be corrupt, but that's the first thing you need for a society.
2: Yeah. And I really want to talk about this in a way without demonizing the people of
3: Mexico, um, because we have plenty of problems on our side. Sure, but there's bad people everywhere. And honestly, we're living in an age where everybody, even if you're not under a capitalist system, it's everybody is out to get, a dollar, a peso, or a, a yen. Sure. Everybody's out to get it, and I will throw my neighbor under the bus to get it. And,
2: yes, and what I have really learned from doing research on this show, I was not fully aware of how much the cartel landscape has changed in the last 20 years, how much scarier and worse it's gotten. Really? But yeah. So I'm going to talk about that here. But so when we talked about last week seeking asylum in the forward way, you have to understand trafficking and disappearances. You have to understand how people end up in these precarious positions, regardless of who they are. So one way is seeking asylum. Another way is through coyotes or human smugglers. And man, is this subject intense. Oh, my God. It is so complicated and
3: so long. Do you know, have, you, have you ever heard the term coyote? Coyote. I remember Trump saying it and I didn't know what it was. Um, We have coyotes in my neighborhood now because they're looking for food. And I think I might have to walk around with mace or something. You mean the animal of the animal? Yeah. Yeah. So
2: this is a different kind of coyote. Um, This is a these are people. Um, I knew the term loosely, but I didn't really know much about it.
3: I think it's made to be confusing on purpose, Natalie. Well, not only that,
2: it is a very long and complicated and varied history. So there are many different ways to view coyotes and what they do. Some of it is relatively harmless and some of it is not good. But beyond that, what a coyote is depends on who you talk to, what they've personally experienced and what agenda is being pushed. For example, when you probably heard Trump say it, it was probably very much to degrade whatever people he was referring to. There's, for example, the perspective, there's a professor named Ray Kowalowski who co-edited a book called Global Human Trafficking. He's a poli-sci professor. And this book called Global Human Trafficking basically means that he, along with other scholars, gathered their research to create a comprehensive study of human trafficking. I take his study seriously and I respect his thoughts. But you also have to take into account... He is a white guy born into America, as far as I can tell. You do need to take that kind of element into account, probably, because even if you're he's going off of research through lived experience, it's seen through a lens. Yeah. that's it's just different than going through it. So, you know, you have to take these things into account when talking about something so complicated. Um, however, he does offer some succinct thoughts on the process of. Coyoteing, which is human smuggling
3: oh god how did it become that name it's such a scary name um i
2: think because they i wish i would have looked that up amber no i'm just like <laughs> bullshitting i don't know no, i i'm sure that there is a very specific reason but i would imagine it's because coyotes travel at night at night maybe through la- like yeah like kind of can like travel through the dark <laughs> um But it is just, you know, it is a colloquial term, basically. Mm -hmm. So Professor Kololowski wants to make make it a a distinct difference clear between human smuggling and human trafficking. So both happen at the border. And one can believe they are being smuggled in because they themselves are usually the one who is engaging in the smuggle. So the person who's being smuggled has asked for this. But sometimes that smuggling can turn into trafficking. Trafficking involves coercion. There has to be deception and manipulation in place. Smuggling more represents a plan with an exchange of money. So a coyote, in essence, is a smuggler. And that is not the same as a trafficker.
3: Oh, right. So a coyote's like, all right, Natalie, I got 50 bucks. Can you please put me in the back of your van? I'll hide under a blanket. Yes. And then when I get across the border, we're good. Yes.
2: Except 50 bucks is way
3: below asking price.
2: Um, we'll talk about
3: that. Yeah, I guess but, you can ask for however much you want because they need to get across the border. Well, interestingly, there is a standard going rate. What? Yeah, it is. It is both
2: not organized and organized as a trade. Two thousand dollars. That's the starting. Starting. Rate. Yeah, yeah. I can't even do that. Yeah, that's why people desperately. The people who are doing it are desperate.
3: And how are they going to get, because they're coming from a place that's probably very war-torn. Either, you know, by, how are you going to get
2: $2,000? By saving up or, you know, by, I don't know, however means they're going to get it, selling whatever they have, selling a property. Oh, um, so that is to say, not all coyotes are traffickers. traffickers. Coyotes can sometimes almost be a good guy. Sometimes they can be saving someone's life because they are also a lot of times um, uh you know, familiar with the terrain that's being traversed and stuff like that. I still don't know if they'd be totally good all the time. well it's it depends, but some of them are just doing a business. Some of them are running a family business doing human smuggling. It is actually a a, tr- a tradition like going back hundreds of years my father was a coyote his Literally. father was a coyote so the only way you really can look at human smuggling or coyote uh, uh, action as 100% bad all the time is if you're on that american flag shit if you're just going off of vibes um you know perhaps things like what trump was saying and you don't explore that any further yeah so you can't see it. You know, if you see it's 100 percent bad, you can't see human beings anymore. You just see them as pests. Oh, these fucking pests going through the border. It's like you can't. Those are humans.
4: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
0: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
4: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
0: What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available Pro-Access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-Access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and low capacity limited by weight and weight
4: distribution.
1: What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat or a rollercoaster at sea.
2: One question that seems to come up a lot is why choose going through coyotes when you can just turn yourself in at the border? Because ice might be bad. Well, you can still end up in ice if you if you get smuggled in because a lot of people are caught in the process or right afterwards. Okay. But yes, avoiding ice is sometimes probably ideal and probably a goal for some people. But actually, I think the answer is even more simple um, We had just like we just said earlier and just like the author of the book, The Devil's Highway, Louise Yuria says it's from desperation that it's everything we talked about last week. The apps, the waiting at the border for months, just sitting and staring at the borderlands, hoping you won't be robbed, beaten or stolen. So even under Biden, him uh, telling them to like make an appointment in an app is such a dystopian (laughs) option of just like – Here's, here's a bunch of tech. Uh, you can sit in the dirt uh, near all of these human traffickers and wait for a couple months with your family.
3: That's so weird. Because if there's like an app for that, I'm expecting to be waiting in like an airport situation. Yeah. Not just least, like in the badlands. Right. Yeah. You would think that. But then what they have
2: as the option, the other option in ICE is a lot of times maybe worse than just sitting in a, the dirt. <laughs> um, so... That is one of the main reasons that people would choose to go through coyotes because there is a chance, sort of a lottery chance that you get across the border. You make it, you find work, you find somewhere and you like see what will happen essentially. But who are the coyotes? So that is another thing that I had as a question because I wanted to understand what danger they play or what role they play and how much of a percentage they play in disappearing of women in forcing them into sex trafficking or forced labor. It's not always sex trafficking. Sometimes it is forced labor. So who are these people and how do they work? Oh, you wanted an easy answer? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) No, my friend. It's another series of corridors of information, a maze of history and viewpoints. Because
3: you don't know who to trust. What if it's like a nice clean cut guy and he's like, all right, now you're trafficked. Well, or what if it's a guy with an eye patch and he's like, here you go, you're safe? It is very much a homespun, word of mouth, folk. Uh, like weaved in a blanket and passed down, it not is, written down. This, yes, basically. So because it's technically illegal, it's like a trade where some people
2: have had very basic and, and transactional relationships with coyotes. Some people have had kind of bad ones some people have been stolen by them and it just depends on who you're talking to and who you reach out to and who you end up finding as your coyote but it is um a business and regardless of the risks to try to make entry via coyote there is still a lot of desire to come in that way in the book that I just mentioned, The Devil's Highway, which, I, by the way, I highly recommend. Um, it's a great book to get a it's a sort of I don't want to call it entertaining.
3: Um, but it's like a I don't want to say easy read, but you can yes. read it and be enthralled. Yes, it, it's the author is
2: sort of a Hunter S. Thompson vibe to him. And he did actually spend time on the border and like is a part of that. He didn't just like do what I do, which is like read books and look on the Internet. He was down there. So it's it's, style. It is Gonzo style in a sense. And it reads like that. So if it's something that would appeal to you, this is a good way to learn about the border um, and also get like a pretty fair perspective. He even like goes from the point of view of the Border Patrol in a very um, humanizing way without propaganda. So I do think that it's a it's a really good read. So in that book, it speaks on multiple instances, but specifically on one called the Yuma 14, which happened all the way back in 2001, which was a tragic experience of um, a huge group of men trying to cross over this devil's highway. Uh, 14 of them were found dead. Oh, and it, it's really uh obviously horrific in a lot of ways and so a lot of the the book is sort of detailing what that was like and what that was experience was for every point of view was it the cartel did it kill them um no i mean it was mostly which is what happens with a lot of people trying to smuggle themselves over the border is like if you lose for a second your way you're you're gonna die in the elements like it is a bad death. It's just hot and
3: you boil inside. Truly, a lot of that happens. Oh my god, because I picture you're like in the back of a van. There's no ventilation. It's 115 degrees. Which is also a way
2: that people uh, die. Um, That's definitely another form of being smuggled in is inside of like a horrible box. For
3: sure. And you don't know if it's gonna be thrown in the ocean. Oh my god, I hate that. Yeah, it's not fun. But so whenever
2: I'm talking about Tijuana because I've brought Tijuana all up up a lot because one of the other books that I, I use for reference is mostly about the borderlands of Tijuana. I mentioned it last week. It's by a guy named Dan Werb. This book, Devil's Highway, is actually a point in Arizona, much more toward like towards the west side of the border. Um, and the Devil's Highway is not an actual highway, but a place that is known to be a smuggling highway, if you will. Most of the popular border crossing points are at Points of extreme wilderness
3: or national parks. And so right. because- Arizona gets really hot mm-hmm. and there's very different terrain. You've got mountains. You've got some like forest parts. It's uh, it's also vast desert. Yeah. It's a very dangerous place. For sure.
2: And that is how coyotes use that area is because it is barely um, livable. Right. So there's not a lot of people there. There's just pockets of little towns. And there's like military bases close by too. I mean there is just nothing but it just it is so dangerous but that is the level of desperation right. So beyond the fact of getting trafficked, I actually Amber for also if you read the Devil's Highway um, there's a section where he reads off the belongings on each of the 14 bodies of the men who comprise the Yuma 14 and I know that sometimes the groups of men can feel really threatening in general, because we know as as people as women about the world, sometimes groups of men are really scary. No, I hate it, but it's a good book to read because it gives you perspective of the sheer desperation of these men that the that what they have on their bodies he says he says in the book, it couldn't even fill one carry on bag. You know it's people who are not. It's coming like a, to hurt or do bad things they are they to find anything it's like that's a picture of death.
3: their wife and their wallet it is literally
2: some of them didn't even have wallets like you know a lot of them had like an extra pair of socks and nothing else on their body like there's not guns it's not like they have drugs it's it is desperate people um so back to coyotes they've been around since basically the south existed the south of southern america uh in varying levels of legality and organization. I went through the history of coyotes, but it is extremely complex to read out. Plus, this isn't a term paper. So just know that smuggling workers from Mexico to work in the U.S. US is a tradition that's dated back to at least the 1800s, Damn. both by intention of that person. So smuggling and trafficking has happened. And that was still
3: then. slavery then. So I wonder if they brought them in just to be they were like. I wonder if in the 1800s they were like, oh, yeah, you come to America free. And they're like, psych, you're going to work on this plantation.
2: It's some of both. There were some people who did get work. Labor work the same that they get now in a lot of ways. But sometimes they were trafficked in or offered a deal that sounded is too good to be true kind of thing. Right. Um, Depending on which governing bodies and what wars are taking place, is more or less when the coyotes are either looked over or kind of like almost used for the benefit of the country or when they're, be, you know, when they're banned or, you know, whatever. It is a complex series oh. of political decisions about when coyotes are regarded highly Cause, or lowly.
3: Right. Because what if the leaders like we need more and this is going to be awful. Like what if they're like we need more like 16 year old girls coming in. We need women for our fuck parties and then they tell the coyotes and they go look for them (laughs) well they do that i mean that is that's that is how a lot of i'm sure i've pictured in my head of like the family sitting down and lord knows if this is true but then a coyote comes around is like hey your daughter we could really use her across the border i think that
2: it's that is like the essence of what happens but it's usually probably a
3: little bit more um, manipulative than that but yeah that definitely happens um, and excuse my my wording for it. I mean, these are like, I'm mostly speaking to the leaders that are bad of our country of that like want, you know, what they what they need at that moment. Right. For sure. Um, so. Or like day laborers. Yes. We need strong men to come through so they can work on my farm for pennies. Right. And then you come into that, that really
2: complicated discussion of we don't want people working for pennies. Do we? Rely heavily on undocumented workers. We do, and should they have the right to come work? Yeah, I think they should. They they want to come, and they are willing to do literally anything. But that doesn't mean they should be treated like no subhumans. So there's this dance of we should appreciate them coming in, but also appreciate them enough that they should like have a living wage and things like that. It's like so basic. And then you add in the complications of people like Ron DeSantis who. Instead of addressing this in a way that's like showing any humanity, it's a political talking point. And so he like doesn't allow workers anymore, And then none of the construction jobs get done and like none of these things get fixed and and plants don't get pulled and all these things because they are very valuable and valid in our country. And the political talking point of DeSantis being like, we're getting them all out. Don't worry. It's like. Not helpful
3: to literally anyone. No, and then you go to the grocery store and you're like, wait, why are none of the vegetables stocked? Yep. Wait, what's going on? Like, you slowly start seeing a domino effect of your everyday life because yeah. there's so much hidden labor done by people that are seen as I don't want to say this, but pests. Yes, I mean they they are seen by as
2: pests by some people, and that's they're people who think in that way are the gross ones. They're gross. Um. So in that book I was talking about about Tijuana, we talked about last week, the book by uh, Dan Werb. He does a good job of explaining the term coyotes is a little bit of a blanket term and it can contain yeah. Underneath that, it, it could be guides, lookouts, people who own safe houses, people who own vehicles, border agents. There are many border agents involved in the coyote process. Really?
3: Yeah. And also a safe house. So like if I had a little shack mm-hmm. kind of around the border and I had like a blanket over a trap door yeah. and a family was under there and I'm like hiding them mm-hmm. while the ICE agents come in my house. Yeah. I would be considered a coyote. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That Like it's a it's a it's a machine of people. Wow. Um, so how fa- people find coyotes is pretty varied as well. Often it's just word of mouth. But smuggling, as opposed to trafficking, is pretty cut and dry. It takes money, honey. From the book, City of Omens, again, he writes about his experiences of the borderlands in Tijuana and how their coyotes work, which are locally called pollero or chicken farmers. So in Tijuana, coyotes are actually called chicken farmers. <laughs> and the people going across the border are called chickens. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. So uh, this is a little excerpt from his book.
3: Tijuana has been a destination for those seeking to pass covertly into the United States for decades, though, as the border has hardened, the logistics have become more complicated. That has meant that. The cost of Polero service, which in the mid-1980s was $250 per trip, has now skyrocketed as it means the evolving obstacles presented by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. The cheapest option is a guided trek through the southern Sierras to the east of the city, which will cost the pollo, literally chicken or the person being crossed, about $4,000. Yeah. So it,
2: it, is, uh, it is a big investment to do this. How many of
3: us have four thousand dollars?
2: Just I didn't for the vast majority of my entire life. Yeah. Um, So it it involves a three-day hike, even at that cost. So if you have four grand to give to this to the coyotes, and again, like I said, it it is sort of a a market price. Every resource I found they basically give the same prices out. Some say a little bit less than four thousand, but it is essentially around the same cost to do it at different spots. Um, And that is the, like, low, low, hardest way to get through.
3: And I wonder if coyotes fight each other. So if I started my own business and I was like, you know what? I'll get you for two grand. Like, they might come get me. I don't even think you could. You know how
2: in certain areas of town there might be, like, Fabric Row and there are certain stores there. No matter... How much you want to be in a certain neighborhood, you can't – it's almost like you have to be invited in, if that makes sense. I right. think that you you can't just be like a vigilante coyote. I think you have to be sort of like accepted in. Or you know how like when there are um, vendors mm-hmm. on certain corners – of streets, like they own that corner. Like you can't just like go and take their spot.
3: Right. Like in New Orleans, all the street performers, they have to pay the city to just be at that spot. You can't just go put out a hat and be like, hey everybody, here's my little song. Yeah.
2: I mean I think that's true on on the upside, like on the the, the legal side, but I also think it's just like an unspoken rule understanding. Like you it won't be good for you if you like come in. You know what I mean? Um but that four grand it, it's it's whenever you go through the worst terrain people are in dire risk of dying in those in that process when it's at four thousand dollars and that is also that price often has the most dangerous landscape also for people being stolen so if you pay that money you are at a deep Dangerous place, both by the terrain and by people who want to come and steal you. So
3: that's on the low end. Yeah. If you pay them more money, you might be guaranteed a better time. Yeah. So if you have
2: another couple thousand dollars, you might be able to get a, a, a more connected coyote who can use um, a little bit more either uh, machinery or or tech or things that they have connections to. So you don't. You're not doing a hike. So there's that. Like, they might, they might have, like, stake in a specific place that they know there's a hole. They might have specific stake on places where they know how to, like, vault people, if that makes
3: Oh, sense. and I can't just show up, all, like, as a vigilante coyote right. and be like, I'll just get you over for free. No, no. No. I don't, I don't think you <laughs> can do get that. They me. Yeah. I wonder if coyotes and cartel are, like, intertwined. Well, we'll talk about that in yes and no. Yes. Because they yes, kind of sound like their own little thing. Cartelli. They we'll, – we'll get into that in a second. Okay. So – but even beyond that, if you have
2: closer to ten grand, they can get you sometimes over by jet ski. And then basically in the teens of thousands, they that is enough to get you uh a deal with a border agent, essentially.
3: So So they're being paid off? Yeah. Why am I acting surprised? <laughs> Wait a minute. You mean people are being paid off for illegal stuff now? Like you put your hands on your hips, like you're just like so
2: so sh- ashamed. <laughs>
3: Dude, what? What a minute. I need to go down there and tell them to stop doing that.
2: <laughs> yes. So there are a lot of border agents. And to be honest, I could give a shit about this form of crime. If they want to be paid off to let people through the border, that is the least of my worries with border agents and corruption. Like take cash to let people through. I don't give a fucking shit. However, sometimes and that's that's people who are, you know, Maybe a little bit on the darker side. Maybe it's not, like, the up-and-up most people if they had that much money. I'm not, of course, referring to any uh, border guard who is, like, letting over human traffickers or, you know, weapons and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. But I just mean, like, if they're being paid off to, like, allow a family through or something. Whoa.
3: Well, so if you're dating a border agent and he's like, my treat to Chili's tonight, it's probably <laughs> coming from blood money. I mean, sorry to laugh.
2: That's not funny. But, yes, perhaps— um. So that description of the process of getting a coyote from City of Omens is just one account um, from one book. There are many that you can re- reach out. You can read online. There's books, like I just mentioned. But the, they vary in exact detail and levels of strife, but they are essentially the same. More money equals easier commute. The more money you have, a lot of times it is because you're doing Dark things. The other through line is that coyotes used to be way more mom and pop style setups. Um, there would be structure, but it was almost a small business. Over the last two decades, the cartels have grown in size and danger, and they also have taken over many of the coyote spaces.
3: Oh, do you think they lie? And they're like, yeah, we're a coyote. What could you ever save? And it's like, no, he's a he's a cartel. It is so
2: complex to try to understand the weaving of honest I don't know what to say honest coyotes right cartel coyotes and cops who are either helping coyotes or helping traffickers because the cops are also especially on the Tijuana side there's a lot of evidence
3: saying that they are um, a big part of the problem. Right. So, and it's all illegal. So, you, there's no handbook on this of like who's good, who's bad. It's no. like, I guess you. And it's it's because of the level of chaos of being a borderland,
2: it probably changes day by day, year by year, based on who's there. So much about growing up is realizing that every good or bad thing that happens is just a, the snowball effect of one person and how much, you know, we use the example all the time, but there was that time period. And this is a, not a crime thing, but, um, There used to be a lot more shows about, like, older funny women that were very popular. Golden Girls. Yeah. And then one or two guys came in, changed all of that out. And then the entire tone of how women were talked to changed in the country for, like, you know, 20 years. Yeah.
3: I mean, that really happened. (laughs) And I remember being in a, like, I know this is off key, but, like, I was in a bad relationship. And I was, I saw Golden Girls, like, an old episode. And she said making fun of her being 35 is being so young. Mm-hmm. And the audience laughed. I was like, wait, 35 is young? Of course. And I was like, oh, because for so many so many years, mm-hmm. you
2: were taught past 25. That's old. Well, we grew up in the 2000s where that was like the worst of it. And it it in a lot of ways. I know that yeah. it changes in different ways. Now we're in this weird conservative bubble. But at the time, it was the other side of it. In the 2000s, it was like... Um, man show and, like, Maxim and all that shit. And how many Um,
3: women stayed in relationships because they're like, I'm old, nobody will want me. You know, it has, like, a ripple effect. (laughs) Oh, many. Yes. Um, So this is, like, the same
2: concept with the Borderlands. Is like, it just depends on a couple people sometimes, like, how dangerous it is, which is just such a trip to think about because you think about these... These overarching concepts, which is the whole reason we do some of these episodes, is there's just goods and bads and there's dark and light and there's just a big conglomerate of evil or there isn't. And it's just never that simple. It never is.
4: VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
0: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
4: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
0: Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150.
2: Now we we can see we can see through evidence, through time, through actions. The cartels have exploded over the last couple decades. And they are the ones, not only them. I'm so scared to talk about cartels. Is that corny?
3: No. It I mean, makes me nervous. They kill people all the time. Wasn't there a bus of like school students just found with their heads fucking cut off a few years ago? I don't know. That's another blip in the news, <laughs> Natalie. I don't know. Um but
2: they, there is evidence and, and there's a history showing that over the last couple of decades, it's gotten a lot scarier and more violent. And that is uh, a place that women are not safe, um, rarely ever. So the cartels taking over the coyote slots makes this process even more dangerous for people. Now, not only is there a risk of the harrowing travels through on inhospitable lands, now there is a much higher risk of entering into What you think is a smuggling contract that turns you into a mule, which is a drug mule or a weapons mule without you knowing or kidnapping into trafficking. Do
3: you think the U.S. gives money to the cartels so they can stop entry of people? I think
2: that the relationship between the U.S. Border Patrol and the cartel is complex and probably bad in a lot of ways. And we're gonna finally get to ICE next week. I know you guys don't like super long series, but I do think you gotta listen to every word I you have to say. Listen. <laughs> so I do want to talk about cartels on this episode before we get to the ICE um, detention centers. Again, the history of cartels is dizzying and. Only one contribution to the horror at the border. But from everything I've read, there was a massive shift in the 80s involving a lot of government corruption working alongside major drug distributors in exchange the government got cuts of the money. It's so, all
3: money. That's all what it comes down to. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, it, oh everything. And there's, there's a lot of money. If we're talking 13 grand just to get through, and that's like the best time you could have, you know, 4,000. 4, that's a lot of money for a lot of people wanting to come over. There's money to be made here.
2: Yeah, and not all of it is about drugs. Like, a lot of coyotes are not also no. engaging in drugs. It's just people. But human the government life. has always engaged in drug trade. So, and the... In Mexico pre the 80s, there was already sort of a a, like a loose agreement with certain drug trades in the government. And what I can what I can say without getting too much into details that I because I don't want to be inaccurate. There is the conservative party in Mexico is called the Institutional Revolutionary Party. It's called PRI. And It has had—that party has had a large hand in regulating the cartels and militias. However, in reality, while they were saying we're cracking down on all this shit, they are actually just making millions of dollars to give off the illusion of order with the drug people.
3: Yeah, so money comes corruption. So now their government is probably in cahoots. So
2: there was already this, like, sort of agreement within— The drug trade. But in the 80s, there was this massive shift because as they were trying to crack down on this drug, even superficially, it was dismantling of this of these Colombian power players in Mexico because the Colombian power players had the cocaine. Right.
3: The cocaine. Yes. Yeah, they had the cocaine. I hate cocaine, by the way.
2: Yeah, I'm not a fan. I mean, I had my I had my phase.
3: Now, the side effects include talking about your screenplay. You're never (laughs) going to write. And it's (laughs) always the most obnoxious guy in the bar.
2: Yeah, that is the thing about um, methamphetamines and things like that is you feel like you are the smartest person. You feel like your
3: ideas are the best in the entire world. You might come up with a lot of ideas, but they're not good. They're not good. And like me watching over, I'm like that. Just know if you're on it. A lot of women are looking at you like, what a big piece of shit.
2: Unless the girls are also on the cocaine. Then they're right.
3: like, you're fucking... You got it, man. You got it. You're so fucking good. Yeah, that's yeah not, we're going to make a movie. Let's start tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and then you wake up and you're like, wait, what? Not
2: only wake up like that, wake up with the worst, way worse than alcohol hangover right. cocaine. And is. you're
3: sad for like a week because all your endorphins are gone.
2: Yeah, it's definitely just not worth it. Not worth it. Um, but so... Leading up until that time, Colombia was kind of the, the the cocaine people. Whenever this crackdown happened, it left this big gap in the market, which is, if you will, well, took the cocaine suppliers further north into Mexico, whereas it was closer to South America previously. So them saying, like, we're getting the Colombian out of here with violence and we're doing the cocaine's getting out, it just left a gap in the market. And so the state of cartels in modern times – is coming from, essentially, that gap in the market.
3: Oh, right. Somebody else just took it and did it. It's not like you evaporated cocaine. Somebody else is like, oh, there's money here? Me now. Right. The state of cartels in modern
2: times feels very much like a domino effect. More than a calculated multi-generational plan. There is a lot of plans and, and, you know, insidious... Uh, plan there's there's a lot of insidious planning that's happened over the, do- the decades but you to, not to downplay it but you know that stupid meme with the little di- domino and then it goes to the big top domino yeah. just like the um, it's not the butterfly effect exactly but there was this process of getting the Colombian cocaine out that led to this other stuff that led to more human trafficking that led to all of the issues we're having at the border and i'm not saying they should have just let the cocaine fly it is however in 2007 w was president right up here yeah. and the president at the time in mexico was named felipe calderon and he is a conservative guy he's part of the conservative party and they decided to put an initiative to, to, together to crack down on the drug trade in northern Mexico that had been filled when they got Colombian stuff out of it. They didn't take into account, however, or maybe they did. I don't know how intertwined the trade in the Mexican government had become and like how t- close knit they were thanks to the decades of the PRI
3: party. Oh, so they were like, oh, we need to crack down on this. And it had already been like 10 years, 20 years of like people forming relationships and money being passed over and houses being built.
2: Yes. So the drug trade became very immersed in the Mexican government. Yeah. And so if you're in the Mexican government and you come and go like... Let's stop. We got to get it out of here with WW's like, all right, that sounds good. (laughs) Let's do a little bigger. And they make a little contract and they decide that they're going to do a crackdown on drugs again. So much like conservatives love a war on drugs, they did it through just like trying to strong arm it. Instead of like maybe looking at the source of why people are doing the drugs, uh, the poverty, the pain, the suffering, the discontent. They're just like, nah, we're just going to push them over and we're gonna put them in jail and everything's gonna be fine and so they sort of went down that pathway because they're probably looking at like the strong arms of it the dealers and it's also not profitable to worry about emotional health of people no um so they're they're because of their crackdown there was a wide sweep of unprecedented violence up to that point the mexican cartels had sort of um it wasn't like there was no violence, but they had sort of just, like, come to an agreement with the government. Whenever Felipe Calderon and W. did this deal, it made the cartels really angry.
3: Oh, because you're taking away my money. I mean, they probably get families and a house and, yeah, and they I got it def- in pool. Not defending the cartels,
2: by the way, but I'm saying the government was already working alongside the drug trade and then when. The state is both tamping down on and also widely profiting from the drug trade. Chaos will inevitably ensue. Yeah. Just a couple years into this initiative in the late aughts, not only were cartels reacting when there was an attempt to pull cartel members out of the police force, because that was one of the things they were trying to do. Oh, God. The cartels retaliated by massacring the police who were left. So this happened just, uh, it was 2009. 46 cops were murdered in a series of weeks after this initiative, like, got signed.
3: And the cops have guns on them. Like, the cops are heavily armed. So this must have been a shoot out. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, they were, it's cartel
2: violence. And I'm not defending the cops either, but that happens. And, you know, who else receives a lot of that pointless violence and who is at the most risk in these moments? Women, particularly vulnerable, poor Women and those engaging in sex work.
3: Yeah, because you can't just like lock yourself in the house. You got to go make money. Yeah. So this is
2: also the time you may have heard, and even in casual passing of the news, tar- cartels started showing up in the news all the time. A lot of times it was propaganda. A lot of times it was truly, it's true violence. It, it It's helpful to a certain demographic of republicans to lean into this cartel business to demonize all people who are trying to get across the border and all mexican people but it's really fucked up and you've probably heard at least the term el chapo if you don't know anything else Mm -hmm. his name is Joaquin Guzman and he was captured in 2014 and he was one of the most prolific cartel leaders um even though he's caught, there's usually a replacement in waiting, and this time it is uh, by ugh. Ismail
3: Mario Zamb- Zambada Zambara Garcia. I I'm so I'm so dork. Like I'm like no, I'm i sorry. don't think I should say his name. No, I mean I I might have said it wrong, but I just mean like because he's it's scary. Oh right, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't say his name uh, usually. Like when you take a bad guy out, a worse guy comes in, mm-hmm. and is this one of those cases? I mean, I would
2: say they're equivalent.
3: Okay. <laughs> there's a $15 million
2: bounty on his head. He's out? Is not, he just chilling El Chapo. at a Home Depot? I mean, he's he's a very powerful cartel leader. Whoa. So the cartel that El Chapo led that is now run by this other gentleman is one of the biggest reigning ones, and it's called Cartel de Sinaloa. Sinaloa. Which is an area of Mexico. This cartel, not exclusively, there's many small um, crime cells. There's many cartel different cartels around. This is one of the biggest ones. Um, They're so scary. And during the 2010s until now, the violence and the violent manner of deaths and and, um, disappearances in Tijuana specifically, but all across is almost incomprehensible. In places like Tijuana, it's not uncommon for narcos to hang bodies in public (gasps) and leave severed heads in places for the public to find um in City of Omen's Danwerb notes that because the drug wars are so forward-facing and violent, the many missing and murdered women of the borderlands were barely a blip on the news cycle, nor were they ever pursued very heavily by police. This is also largely because despite the effort to remove cartel members from the police force, in a lawless land like this there will always be more cops coming in to indulge in both consensual sex acts with sex workers and darker acts with the most vulnerable.
3: I know. And if she's like a poor woman who needs to feed her kids, is it really consensual? Well, it's yeah. I you mean, know, that's, a, a that's form- another episode, but like, y- sure. Is yeah. it?
2: It's a, it's a conversation to be had for sure. The red light district in Tijuana is called Zona Norte. Um, and I ha- I want to preface this by saying I've never gone over the border this way or I've gone to Tijuana, but it is very common for Angelinos and San Diego's to cross the border to go party.
3: We were just in San Diego, and I was kind of toying with the idea of going to Tijuana, but now this whole, like, fucking head's on spikes. I don't know. Yeah, I mean,
4: you, you definitely
2: want to, like, go with a couple friends or something. I was talking about
3: go. going with Ed, yeah.
2: Yeah, make Ed deal with make all the people. Make Ed deal with it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> However, very you know,
2: very similar cities in, are in the states as well. It's not like out here. San Diego is also incredibly
3: scary, <laughs> um, right? There were certain uh, parts in that little gas lamp District, and I'm not supposed to be safe, but like I was getting heebie jeebie vibes. It's a lot of people like really grappling with addiction
2: and mental health yeah. issues. Same with San Francisco. I mean, you know, California gets a bad rap because of our homeless population, and there's valid reasons for that. But also, it's partly because we don't just throw them in the ocean like other states who are like right we don't have homeless people it's like it's because you send them here
3: yeah i was talking to a guy <laughs> We just on the don't su- like wanted them
2: to die exactly
3: i was talking to a guy on the subway and he said he was given a one-way greyhound bus ticket yep. he was in the middle of america yep you know he showed me his bag of money he made that day like panhandling. Yep. i talked to people natalie i'm a woman of the people but I'm- that's how a lot of like folks get here yes So in
2: his research for City of Omens, Dan Warb spoke with one of the one of the many sex workers he interviewed and spoke with for this book. Uh, She had been working the streets for over 30 years. Oh, my God. At that point. And she, from her perspective, described the 2000s and even into the 2010s as a time when she witnessed and experienced the police frequently take what they wanted from the sex workers and also described... Her and the, sorry, this is terrible. Her and others having to blow a judge if they wanted to get out of local jail if they got arrested for some like infraction or something.
3: So, oh my God. Yeah. So I would bite his dick off. I mean, he would shoot me in the head, but yeah. no more of this from him. Yeah. Well, all of this
2: might be accurate about the risks and darkness in this border town, to not credit the U.S. both in actions and in propaganda with creating part of the problem would be disingenuous because there is a both-sides-of-the-wall issue with human trafficking. Before we get to the tragedies in the ICE detention centers, which will be next week, I I know you don't want too many parts. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot to say here. The reason that I'm going through these different various forms of... um, ways that people can get trapped and stuck is because even a group like insightcrime.org, which is literally a think tank organization that does intense, deep research to understand organized crime and citizen security in the Americas, they are like, this is very confusing and complicated. Human trafficking at the right. border is so confusing.
3: I mean, what's the solution here? We level everything into a parking lot? No. No. And then just like, how dare you? <laughs> that way, no one can hide. Everything's just like a flat parking lot.
2: Yeah, every, yeah, no more. Again, yeah, no more trees. People love when we say that. Um, <laughs> no more trees. So, we're going to get into ice next week, but this is the conclusion from the last three episodes. What we've gathered is one, there are lots of people coming in from South and Central America, external countries like China as well as other places through Mexico to try to gain entry to the U.S. Two, the overwhelming majority of those people are desperate in life-threatening situations and must undergo a myriad of challenges to their safety to get to the border and are the most vulnerable of any humans that really exist.
3: Yeah, we don't want to go after the cartel. We're just wanting to focus on the lives of women and children trying to come across the border.
2: Yes, thank you, in case they're listening to
3: us. Just in case. Like, I just want to focus on these gals. I want to make sure they're okay. Yeah. And three
2: if they actually make it to the border without being robbed or violated because some studies suge- suggest there are over 60% of women making the, this journey are assaulted i bet it's fucking more i, I don't I don't want to sound i bet it's 100% morose. let's I be mean, honest it's probably not 100 but i i don't want to be morose but i do think it's actually much higher than 60% but it's hard because not all people want to report that
3: right and what if you're like a catholic or like a someone from a deep religious you don't want to say i was raped because now
2: now there's like the stigma on top of uh, yeah. all of the other horrible yeah um, so if they actually make to the border without being robbed or violated, they're often forced to fend for themselves in a border town for an undisclosed amount of time, which could be last months or even years. Um, this is a really cool insight. Not cool, but there's a handy dandy uh, map that Insight Crime put together, which basically shows the crossover of cities with high human Human trafficking rates, intersections with migratory routes and human trafficking transit points. Um,
3: oh, yeah. Tijuana is a big one. There's a lot in the southern part of Mexico. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting looking
2: at this map. Of course, it goes all across the southern border of the U.S., but it's also the border of the like ocean
3: borders. And I assume maybe those are going out to other countries, maybe. Maybe like a boat comes in and it gets you into Puerto Vallarta or something. Something. Uh, but you'd have to go across a fucking ocean. And that's really scary. I mean, it might be by flight also. Right. Um,
2: but yeah, that it's a... Because it's a, they put t- two years worth of... Um, they put two years of... Uh,
3: Cancun's a hot spot? Oh, my God. I'm so glad I didn't go on spring break there. I mean... It, I couldn't afford it. Is not <laughs> like I was like holier than thou?
2: For better or worse, it's not as much of a risk for Americans traveling on vacation and resorts. Of course, There is risk, but it's very sadly a lot of times people who are not able to be on a vacation who get the most trafficked.
3: Um, right. But... Yeah, when I went to Puerto Vallarta, again, I was like, for that wedding, we were on like this little bitty, like in this woods jungle area and I was kind of talking to the people working and I said, "Well, what would happen if I walked out in the jungle and they said, Miss, no! No, don't do that! So I think they have, somebody told me that uh, there was like sort of an agreement between the workers there and tourist areas and cartel because the cartel know that there's money being brought in from like these American tourists yeah. so don't do anything but if I were to wander off in the woods game fucking over don't wander off in any woods I don't know why I do this Natalie I'm always like what if I just kind of walked over where I shouldn't what if I walked out of the exit you're just like oh there's trees and there's no path I gotta see what's in there I gotta go in the spiders where the spiders live <laughs>
2: Uh, no, that's why we love you, Amber. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, so we're going to end on discussing the coyotes aspect for for this episode. But it's interesting that with uh, InsightCrime dot org, they their experiences, who they spoke with, they say there's many more small clan criminal groups who collaborate with locals to traffic so they're saying it's not the big cartels that are doing the most of it really this is one point of view a valid one and so some people are saying this is the because there's huge cartels and some are saying it's a much smaller s- crime cells that are local to the local government because
3: yeah. I bet you it's mo- probably both <laughs> probably both you have more people paying two to four grand than you would thirteen thousand
2: yeah. I'm oh, thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like a bigger for sure. market. For sure. Um, I would imagine. I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But um, so we're going to talk about ICE next week, which is – or no, in two weeks. We have Thanksgiving. We're going to do a Thanksgiving episode next week. And then the week after that, we will do the ICE detention centers. And um, Are
3: there cartels in ICE?
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Um. But we'll also talk about organizations that are working against, working for the for better treatment, working for um to help the most vulnerable of us and people. There are people who are trying to make things better. So again, remember we just always leave on
3: that. Yeah, there's people trying to make things better. There said are doom and gloom. Yeah. There. There's. There's good stuff too. Um. So. Have a good uh,
2: holiday season. Um, we that cranberry sauce. We're going to, I guess we will have an episode coming out on Thanksgiving Day, but it won't be as serious. Yeah,
3: it'll be more positive, I think. Like some, uh, uh, I looked up some cases that, you know, what's going on now with it. Yeah, we'll do
2: a little bit of an update, a little bit of just, we're going to do a little more casual episode. A little
3: bit about us, you know, where I live and my address.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, (laughs) I'm just going to say our credit card numbers, um, you know, just so you guys get to know us better. That's right. Uh, Yeah, we are still, even through my deep, dark soul today, we're still saucy, pert, and greasy, and I know that you guys are out there fucking too. Um, I'm Natalie Jean. You can follow me at the Jean. Amber Smelson. You can follow us at Someplace Underneath. If you want to get stuff to us... It's much better off if you message our Instagram or email us uh, than try to get one of our personal accounts. Just a lot easier to to, to see it. Right, so. and I do
3: go through the emails. It yeah. takes a while. Yeah. I do like a few each day just to kind of slowly chip away at it. Yeah. But, you know, but we do away.
2: We do read everything. We really appreciate everybody reaching out. We love you guys. And, um... Don't let anybody get you make make you dry. Always stay slippery and greasy. That's right. You slugs
3: and and what was it? Slugs and snails. Snails. <laughs>
0: This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows
3: by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150